Amen. Is this on? Here we go. Uh, I'm, I'm Charles Lynn. Um, this is my wife, Brenda. <laughs> Seems like we've been gone a long time, two Sundays. Um, I'm part of probably the longest continuous uh, small group that we have here. It's our Thursday morning, 6.30 breakfast. We, uh, we started in my office, and then we moved it to Hardy's, and then we moved it back to the church. Uh, COVID kind of threw a, a monkey wrench in that. But it goes all the way back to promise keepers, to stand in the gap, Million Man March. I think it was 1999. Am I, am I right on that year, or is it maybe a little bit further back? See, nobody even realizes or remembers that. But uh, we took a, a large group to Stand in the Gap, uh, a great time. And we started three men's small groups out of that. And uh, we have one that has survived uh, all these years. And it's been great. We have prayer together. We share needs. It's, we just get together from 6.30 to 7.30. And uh, if you're available, let us know. Uh, we provide a biscuit, a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit for you, so you'll go back blessed in some way. Do what? 1997. Thank you for Googling that. How about that? Uh, somewhere back there in my memory, I remembered it in the 90s, but um, it is good to be back. And we, uh, we arrived back from Columbus, Ohio last Sunday, but we didn't make it back in time for church, but we got to have church in the car. Great worship time, and what two wonderful messages Brad brought on those two Sundays. We, I don't know how it figured out that we uh, were traveling to Columbus on Sunday, and we got to hear his message about what the Lord said to the church at Ephesus, and coming back, great message on Laodicea. Uh, I want to take you to a familiar passage of Scripture, um, and uh, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Um, and speaking about the Beatitudes, and we're going to go to the Beatitudes, but this is, this is probably one of the most famous sit-down, I don't know if he sit down, he stood, but uh, three chapters about the whole message, the Sermon on the Mount, and all the various subjects he covered. But he begins that sermon with these Beatitudes. Um, you know, blessed, some, some of them translated as happy, uh, when you have these kind of uh, focuses in your life, foci in your life. And he gets down to verse 6 about righteousness, this statement on righteousness. So if you're there, I'm going, how about the authorized version today? Anybody want to go for the King James Version? How about that? Whether you want to or not, that's what we're going to. <laughs> Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord, thank you for our worship time. Thank you for ministering to us. Now we want to bless you by embracing this word and asking you, Lord, to speak to us. We need constant revelation from you. This is the only day we have to hear your voice. This is the right now moment for us. We ask for you to speak clearly to our hearts, Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to know some here this morning need direction. 
They're facing things that's troubling them. Uh, They don't know what to do. But I pray that through your word, you'll give them direction. Some that are tired, they're worn out from so many things pressing them. They need to be refreshed. They need a surge of your strength, your peace into their lives. All of us come here this morning with certain things that we really need from you. And we uh, ask, Lord, that across this room, you would pour out your presence in such a way that we leave here realizing that we have met with you. We've had a wonderful time of worshiping you, lifting you up, exalting you. And you say, when we praise you, you will fill the place with your presence, Lord. And we have felt that and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there you have it. Matthew 5, 6. What do you think is the key word in that verse? Hunger? Someone say hunger. Anything else? Righteousness. Thirst is the other, right? And maybe the fourth word would be filled. But do you realize the entire verse rests on one single word? Righteousness. Everything falls apart in that statement if you pull righteousness out of it. What are you blessed for if there's not a focus on the righteousness of God? And, And mind you, this is not talking about right living. This is talking about righteousness that only comes from the Lord. What does it mean? What does righteousness mean? Happy or blessed are those who hunger and thirst. We're going to get to those two verbs here in just a moment, but we're just going to focus a little bit on righteousness. If you look it up, and, and this word appears 92 times or something like that in the New Testament, only nine times in the Gospels, and three times in this chapter, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, three times in chapter five, he mentions righteousness. It means integrity, purity, virtue, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, acting. We will get to the two verbs in just a moment, but dig deeper with me into this word on righteousness in regard to people having a hunger and thirst in life. Anything that we might want materially, food, water, there has to be a drive, does there not, for us to get it? If you don't really need something, you don't go out and, well, I shouldn't say that because sometimes people buy stuff they don't need, right? Because it's just a good price. Anybody here done that? (laughs) Hey, that's a good price. I don't need it, but it's a good price. I'm going to buy it. But the pursuit, the pursuit of happiness, this hunger and thirst for happiness, this uh, for righteousness, this success, the desires that we have, these things capture our lives. But it's sometimes the things that we pursue is not about righteousness. It's about convenience. It's about what makes me enjoy life. When you really talk about the righteousness of God, you have to go back to the person of Christ. This righteousness only comes through Jesus. What he is saying here is really a self-awareness to them that he is, they're looking at the only hope of righteousness that there is. He was speaking the word 
But he was really directing them to himself that the only righteousness you can have, and he's going to mention this a couple of times later in this chapter, Jesus lived his entire life as a holy, sinless son of God. You know that, right? We say that he was sinless. But I tell you what, it's just something to think of a toddler that doesn't blow a tantrum. Can you think about that? That he was the best toddler that ever lived. Never, you say, well, he, he stayed back in Jerusalem for three days and it took three days for them to find him and, and all of this. And so, but he was 12. Did he do this intentionally? We don't know that. But he lived a sinless life. Get this. He turned into a teenager that never sinned. Come on. <laughs> now, there's some people here that's got gray hair like me. And believe it or not, we were once teenagers. And there's things that we probably, even if our parents are deceased, we still wouldn't want them to know. That we did this, we did that. But Jesus lived his teenage years sinless. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's amazing, is it not? But this righteousness that he's talking about in his message, he's like in his 30s now and he's went through all of his 20s and he was probably the primary supplier for his mother and his siblings. He was the oldest of all the kids. Everything rested on him. He worked hard. He did all of this and never once stepped across a line that was wrong. Not one time. He lived the life of righteousness he submitted himself to his parents when he was young. He, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Everything about him was living a life of righteousness. Whether it communicated to anybody else who he was. Because when, when, when John the Baptist pointed his disciples to him and says, There goes the Lamb of God. And some of them broke from following John, went over him. But I think probably people looked upon him as just as, as a pretty good person. And all of a sudden he launches this ministry and it's not just he's a really good preacher and a really good person. He is the son of God. And he is the picture of righteousness. Righteousness is doing what God expects us to do. What he requires us to do. Matthew Henry um, he did all of his studies in the 1700s with an ink well and a kerosene lamp. And he wrote this about this righteousness. He said, to have Christ made of God to us righteousness and to be made the righteousness of God in him, to have the whole man renewed in righteousness so as to become a new man, a new person, and to bear the image of God to have an interest in Christ and the promises, this is righteousness. Everything connected to this book that we live out in faith is righteousness. And he says, if you hunger and thirst for this, you will be filled. A couple more things I want to point you to before we jumped into those two verbs. He mentions this five or four verses later in verse 10 in Matthew 5. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Anybody feel like you've done that before? Yesterday? <laughs> Yesterday? <laughs> Blessed are those who's persecuted. What righteousness are we going to be persecuted for? 
the life we're living for the Lord. Because any other righteousness is not, is not going to stand that test. You're blessed when you're persecuted for living a life that's honoring God. You're blessed for that. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he follows up verse 6 with this verse, but he's still not finished. In chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus refers to this dynamic again when he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't really referencing what the best we could be, the best effort that we can be a good person. And I... And I think we ought to make an effort to be a good person, be a kind person, considerate, hold the door open for people, prefer them to get the closest parking spot in front of Walmart. Just, just, just be generous, just be kind. But that's not the righteousness he's talking about. He's talking about not just doing right, but he's actually talking righteousness that only comes from him. The scribes and Pharisees were the best people at keeping rules. Just, just go through the Bible and in the New Testament and see what they were all about. It's about doing everything this way. You don't work on the Sabbath and you don't heal on the Sabbath and you don't do this and you don't do that. You don't pick grains of corn on the Sabbath and you don't eat them because you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. They were the overbearing rule keeper of that day. They were all about righteousness in their own lives. But Jesus said, if your righteousness does not exceed what they do, says it's not going to work. And what is the result of surrendering to the righteousness of God? It says you'll be filled. What does that mean? You will be filled. Filled with what? You will be satisfied out of, out of the results that comes from pursuing. This is pursuing the righteousness of God. You will be filled. Hunger and thirst. Anybody can identify with those two words lately? Our natural world. We, um, we've kind of had some heat waves here, haven't we? And if you got outside and did anything, you had some water handy. Because this heat index above 100, you just have to hydrate. You might not feel like eating something, but you do feel like you need to drink and hydrate, Right? But here's some words for hunger, to desire, to crave, to long for. Now, can this hunger apply more than just food? Listen again. To desire, to crave, to long for, to yearn for, to ache for, to pine for, to reach, to press. You know, we had a couple of football statements up here that we want to strike from the record but you even hear coaches say you know this team is a hungry football team what does that mean they're yearning for success they they're pressing to achieve something and this is what hunger hunger and thirst right means you're pressed to get somewhere and when you're pressed to press into the presence of God and the righteousness of Christ you will be filled. You will be satisfied. Some of you might remember a man by the name of Bill Bright. Anybody remember Bill Bright? 
Oh, a few hands are up. Are you, are you kidding me? Is that the only ones? Who in here has not heard of Bill Bright? Raise your hand. You have not heard of him. All these college students. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm going to give you some help this morning. Now, he passed away in 2003 at the age of 81. But in 1951, he and his wife, Vonette Bright, founded Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, they've renamed it to Crew. Now, how many have heard of Campus Crusade for Christ or Crew? Okay, here we go. Bill Bright had a passion to reach the campus of the University of California at Los Angeles, which we commonly know as UCLA. And from that passion to reach that campus, they now have a force around the world of about 25,000 workers. Over $3 million are funneled into those various, it's all over the world. And he, at the age of um, 79, he was uh, battling some sickness. And uh, he expressed that he had a meeting. I, I have a, a, a photograph of him and his wife when they were addressing 25,000 of their workers. He was handing the torch off to another man to head up Campus Crusade for Christ. And this was a picture. He was uh, oxygen dependent for the last few years of his life. He didn't go anywhere with it. If you saw him uh, at a gathering, he had that tank with him. He, and yet, in 1994, he had a hunger for God that ended up in his first go at a 40-day fast. He was 73 years of age. There's hope for us, old people. The, <laughs> there's hope for us. 40-day fast at the age of 73 in 1994. And he did that, I think, in the latter part of the year and maybe finished it up in December. But he felt the impression upon God, uh, from God that, that he needed to get all that he could from God. And he said, I want to be just like Jesus. On those 40 days, he was in the battle, fasting, but praying. And he said, this is what, at 73, he says, this is what I need to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of really boggles my mind. That at that age... He decides to go on a 40-day fast. He did that fast every year, including the year he passed away. He moved it into the springtime, and he would finish his fast on Good Friday. A longing and a thirst for the presence of God. Fasting is a way to a different hunger. I'm going to share some, I, I did a 40-day fast one time, I'll mention this in just a moment. But really, it's to be hungry for God and attentiveness to the purpose of God. In March of 2001, two years before he passed away, Carrie Botchman of Campus Upgrade, the Chi Alpha publication. This is the neat thing about Bill Bright. 
he was not a denominational person. He, he just went across all lines. He was involved with things with the symbols of God. It didn't matter. He was all about winning people to the Lord. In fact, this was, his, this was his singular focus of life. He said, if what I do does not have anything to, to do with the fulfillment of the Great Commission, I don't think I need to be doing it. I think everything that I do as a leader of this ministry has to do with the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And in his mind, somewhere this kind of revealed to him that if Jesus did this 40 days, I'm going to do it 40 days. And I'm not even sure that, that he decided, I'm going to do this every year, or it just became part of it, what he got out of that. And he said in an interview with Kerry Boschman from Chi Alpha uh, in 2001, he spoke this. He said, in 1994, God led me for my first 40-day fast. And in 2001, he says, I've had seven cents, one each year, to intercede for revival. I would say it was God's timing. I fasted and prayed shorter periods for years. I simply obeyed what he called me to do. He impressed me to write a book on prayer and fasting. And if you want to Write this down. The book is The Coming Revival, America's Call to Fast, Pray, and Seek God's Face. He called me to invite Christian leaders to come and pray with me in Orlando in December of 1994. That's when he finished up his fast. That was the beginning of a movement worldwide. There is a deep, this is him still speaking in, in 2001, there is a deep sense of tragic disintegration of the morals of America. The morals of America in 2001 pressed him so much that he was giving himself totally. If this man had this kind of burden in 2001, why don't we have a greater burden with what we see around us today. Where are we pressed? Are we pressed? Hunger and thirst. It's kind of like we're pressed for something. We, we know something is missing. I'll finish this. And, and that is what prompted me to seek God's face. I realized that all the things we're doing are not enough. God doesn't have, have to help. But for those who humble themselves and cry out to God to be merciful to them, as sinners, God hears. I've seen the dramatic results in pastors and individuals. Ministries and churches have been revolutionized. And here we are 20 years later from the words of that man. Hunger and thirst. What about that 40-day fast I took on? Um, it was in the late 90s. Probably around 99, something like that. Brenda will never forget it. I won't ever forget it. Some of you that were here probably won't forget it. I, I got the idea from Bill Bright to fast 40 days. I studied it, and I'm a, I'm a rule keeper. I'm, I got to have everything in line, everything in place, just not... I'm not just going to do something. I've read it, and I said, this is what I'm going to do. This is what, this is the hydration I'm going to have, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to, I'm going to have 40 days. And I fasted those 40 days. To be honest with you, after, after just a few days, I, I wasn't hungry again. Wasn't, didn't hunger 
Now, the first two or three days, it was like, okay. My body said, what are you doing to us? This is not fair. We're not going to participate in this. We had a vote, and we voted no on this doing without food. Had this internal struggle going on with me. But after a few days, thank God. And Bill Bright said the last of his 40-day fast, the last few years, he never got hungry in those 40 days. And I can attest that after just a few days, the hunger went away. It was all liquid. And I pretty much maintained the, the same schedule, but I was spending time seeking God, letting him minister to me, letting him change me. And um, boy, what an experience it had when I came off that fast. Somebody gave me some soup. Somebody in this room gave me some soup. <laughs> um, it was powdered soup, which didn't work very well. My, all my body had just kind of like went to sleep. And I came to church after breaking my fast with this little small bowl of just soup, hardly anything in it, just something. That's what it was, I was told. Just, and something in that powder didn't work very good. I started having indigestion. I left the office, went home. And I started telling her, I feel like I might be having a heart attack. It was so intense. I went to the ER in the Northport DCH. And they did some, you know, x-rays and tests and all this. Says, we have determined that what you're ex experiencing is your gallbladder is having spasms. And I thought, oh, I hope that doesn't ever happen again. And uh, they gave me something for pain, and she says, um, do you know what would cause that? And I don't want to tell her. I don't want to tell her. And she says, what would cause that? I said, well, I, I, um, I broke a fast by some soup. And she said, how long did you fast? I went, 40 days. And she looked at me, and without saying a word, I got this... I got the memo, you're stupid. <laughs> she, it, was coming, it was coming through her eyes and her expression, and, and, uh, and I wanted to say, yeah, I am stupid for, for breaking the fast. But it, it comes down to what do we seek God for? What does Matthew 5, 6 have to do with what I just shared with you on a 40-day fast? And I'm not even saying that you ought to think about it. But if Bill Bright was standing up here and telling you, he says, this is something you can follow Jesus. You can do something that Jesus does. I'm not going to ask anybody in the room to raise your hand or if you're okay with a 40-day fast. In fact, if you have a diabetic or a hypoglycemic like Brenda's mother was, it's not good for any of you to do that. But it seems like we don't, we're not really prone to do a three-day fast. And I'll just tell you, if you're willing to do a three-day fast, you're really close to rounding the curve if God speaks to you about doing a 40-day fast. And you would think that I lost a lot of weight during that time. Not much at all because 
the systems that demand protein just go to sleep. And so it's, 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 it's not, you know, you know, I'm not out jogging while I'm doing this. But what I'm saying is this. If we hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only comes from Jesus, he will change our lives. He will turn our life around. We have hunger and thirst in our lives that we don't realize we have a hunger and thirst because we haven't seen what can supply that hunger and what can supply that thirst. We need a hunger and a thirst. We need this longing, this yearning. They that hunger and thirst. Is this something that just happens outside of us or is it happens inside of us? This ache for the presence of God, this yearning for the presence of God. To surrender our lives to Him, to say, Lord, here I am. All I have is today. I don't have next week. I don't have tomorrow. I don't have next month. I don't have next year. I can plan for next year, but that's next year. All I have is today. What do you want from me, Lord? What is it about my life you want me to surrender to you, to give up? I don't know what God wants you to do in seeking Him, desiring Him, knowing Him, longing for Him, reaching for Him, yearning. All of these things that's caught up in that word hunger. But I can tell you this, He's waiting for you. He's waiting to meet you. The promise is there. What's the promise? What's the promise in that verse? You'll be filled. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Not maybe. This is a guarantee. So I'd like for you to stand with me this morning. And here's a couple of things I want us to think about praying. Because I think, I think a lot of us in this room, including myself, we need a new hunger and thirst for God. No matter how much we have moments of thirsting for Him, longing for Him, He wants to increase. He wants that to be increased. And I don't think it can be increased if we don't give Him permission. So Lord... I pray for those in this room that's kind of at a place of comfort. Everything's going just fine. They're, they're healthy. They're well. Their family's well. They're, they have, they're financially okay. And everything seems to be going, but there's a lack of longing, a lack of thirst for something deeper. But there's some here, Lord, that have hit a wall wounds and there's there's sorrow in them there's regret maybe that's suffocating them part of hungering Lord is wanting relief and I pray for those Lord this morning who've had a tough go of things lately maybe even questioning you why are you allowing this to happen or that to happen Today you want to stir a new hunger and a new thirst in us for your righteousness. And if you're in any of those categories or you just want to say, Lord, I do want to hunger and thirst.
It's way beyond anything I've ever had. I, I want to be so intensive for you. I want you to just come and stand across his front, and I believe he's going to prompt us with a new hunger and a new thirst. And especially with this school year, there's parents here. You got a lot on you. There's teachers here. Boy, just ask God to give you a new hunger for his presence, to give you the capacity to hear his voice when you face these uncertain things in your, in your setting of where you're teaching or your job. You just, there's something going on in your job that you don't know how to deal with. Lord, give me a, a hunger and thirst for your presence, Lord. We're going to take a few minutes just to come and say, Lord, here I am. And he might speak to you about a 40-day fast. Be open to that. How about that? Who knows what God's going to do? Hallelujah. Well, we need to pray. Don't we? We need to pray for our, our campuses. We need to pray for our nation. So let's pray. 